Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father, from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. The basis for our message was the Old Testament lesson read earlier, the account of the creation of Adam and Eve. My oldest sister, Anne, attended Valparaiso University, and since she was the first one to, to go to college, it was a family project to move her in at the beginning of the year and to bring her back home at the end of the year, and we did that each year. And so we would go, and I remember her sophomore year, we went and we were carrying stuff up and down, and in the sophomore year, we're meeting her friends, the people she met her first year. And so at one point, it's Bill, Tom, and I that were in the elevator alone, and then a girl pops in. And she looks at us and goes, you're Ann's brothers. And one of us, I don't know who, said, well, how do you know? We haven't met you. And then she looked at us and she says, you have that Lutz nose. <laughs> Up to that point, we had no idea there was a Lutz nose. But, but that story came to mind thinking about the creation of Adam and Eve, where, where God says that he made Adam and Eve in his image. What does that mean? They have the nose of God? Well, we know that can't be because God is spirit. So what does it mean? And what's its purpose? That's what we're going to look at today. We're going to, we're going to think about the, the meaning of it, but we're really going to emphasize that purpose. The idea that, that God places his image on Adam and Eve with the intention that man is going to be the avenue by which God reveals himself to creation. That in Adam and Eve, all creation, we're going to recognize who God is. And so we go back to the creation account, and we heard today earlier the creation of the animals, right? We heard, let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things and beasts of the earth according to their kind. And it's clear, God is the creator of every living thing. He is the author of life. And he creates by the power of his word. He, he calls the animals into existence. But it's striking to listen to the text today that you hear the description of the way the animals are created, but then you hear the description of how man is created. And the creation of man is different. It's unique. Again, Moses' words, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So man is made in the image of God. And right away we understand that that image is that, that they are perfect, they were without sin. They are holy. They're separated from sin. But there's more to it. And we're going to see that as we look at the blessing. But again, notice that God makes, places his image on Adam and Eve. And if that's the case, then were they not going to be a revelation to the creation of who God is? If they bear the image of God, were they not to carry that image to the world around them? That was God's intention. And it was his intention from the beginning. That Adam and Eve were indeed intended to reflect God. They were to bear the image. But, but the image of God also not only being without sin and holy. I think that as the Lord blesses them. He also indicates more of what this image bears. Notice he says to them. Be fruitful and multiply fill the earth. God was going to use them to bring life. That in Adam and Eve there was a revelation that God is the source of life. That God is a God who treasures life, and especially human life. And also the blessing continues. 
He tells Adam and Eve to have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. That God is a sustainer. He didn't just set the world into existence and said, okay, you're on your own. That he cares for it. And one of the ways he's going to care for the earth is through Adam and Eve that they were going to reveal God's caring love as they subdued or had dominion or took care of the earth, the animals, the plants, and everything else. This is their charge that God is giving them. And then it's fascinating that as God ends the sixth day, he moves on to the seventh day with a little bit more revelation of God. That after God has finished his creation, he rests. We are told that on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. It's interesting to think God resting. Does God get tired? He doesn't get tired. He doesn't need to recharge his batteries. So what is God doing as he rests? Is he not resting in, in the creation that he has just made? Is it not a picture of God enjoying the creation? He's just said that what he has made is very good. And is a God who's interested in his creation, who loves his creation, do you not think he enjoys his creation? An appreciation of that creation. And it's interesting that later God would apply this rest to man, that they were to take a day of rest. And that day of rest wasn't just to do nothing. That day of rest was to find joy and be recharged in God and his word and his creation, to appreciate and to rest and rejoice in what God has made and how God has revealed himself, not only in his created world, but also in his word. So again, Adam and Eve were given the image of God to reflect that, to reflect God. But we know that did not go well, right? God placed his image upon them, and they were to be instruments to bring this message of God to the world. They were to be instruments of life to the world, but instead of being that instrument of life, they're actually the instrument that brings death to the world. In their rebellion against God, God had said, if you eat from the tree, you will surely die. And when they ate from the tree, they brought death into the world. They were indeed to be showed God's caring love for creation. And yet instead of doing that, they make decisions about God's creation selfishly. That they saw the fruit was good for them and they ate of it. And it's interesting, instead of being content with being made in the image of God... They took the forbidden fruit with the idea that it would be good to make them wise and to be like God, as Satan has said. Instead of resting and enjoying the creation that God had given them, they were rebelled and were cast out of the Garden of Eden. They failed to reflect God properly. And as a result, God needed to recreate. And that recreation is seen, and that need is seen in us. Adam and Eve were indeed made to reflect God's image, but we too are to reflect God's image, and yet that image has been lost, right? That, that sin that we see with Adam and Eve is a sin that's been passed on to us as well. And, and we do not properly reflect the image of God. We do not treasure human life the way that we should. We're offended when the world doesn't treasure life, but do we treasure life? To truly treasure life is to love life, to, to speak well of life, to, to speak well of one another, to help one another, to be there for one another, to think kindly of one another. If we're going to treasure life, are we not going to be kind and loving to one another? 
And the real test is if you treasure life, if you truly treasure life, you treasure all life, even that life that opposes you. How do you speak about those who oppose you? How do you act toward them? What do you think about them? If you're not showing love to them, are you not? You are not treasuring the life that God has placed in this world. We're to reflect God's care and love for the world, but we fail to do that. We use the world selfishly, do we not? We use the things of this world for our own design, for our own pleasure, for our own ideas. And we give it so mixed up that we actually cling to the things of this world rather than trusting in our Lord. And we do not reflect God by the way that we take rest, enjoy his word or his creation. Do we truly find rest in the world and in the word in the way that he intends? Again, we see the need for God to recreate. And he does. And in doing so, he reveals himself once again. He shows that God treasures life. We see it in the working of the triune God, right? The Father who is willing to give up His Son to give life to the world. The Son who is willing to give up everything to set aside all His honor and glory and power and then as a human giving up even His life so that He might give life. The Holy Spirit comes to us and gives us faith so that we might trust in Him and have that life that that never ends. Indeed, God treasures life, and he treasures his creation, and he uses his creation for the benefit of man. He's given us the world to enjoy and provide all that we need. And he promises to us a rest, an eternal rest to enjoy him and his creation. And he gives us a glimpse of that rest as we gather around his word. Rest from our labors of sin and guilt and shame and all the rest. But as God does this, as God does the work of salvation, as he saves you and me, we see that we're coming full circle. God's original plan of having man bear his image to the world is again happening, right? Isn't that behind the command that we served from Matthew 28, that we're going into the world, we're to make disciples, and we make disciples by baptizing and by teaching, that in our baptism the name of God is placed upon us, And we think about this in the New Testament that we find throughout this, the idea of God joining himself together with us or God telling us to put on Christ. Is that not, again, taking up the image of God? Receiving that image so that we might be the reflection of God to the world? And doesn't it even become more important a world lost in sin? Because how can those who are lost in sin know who God is if it's not revealed by you and I who bear his image? who are united to him in his baptism, that have his name placed upon us. This is what God has intended with Adam and Eve, and now is that work doing in us. Even though we're imperfect people, even though we're, we're, we're not what we should be, God uses us as a reflection of him to the world so that all might know of the saving God. And so as we go forward with his name placed upon us, we bear his image and people can see the image of God when we show our love for those around us and our love for our neighbor, for our family, for our friends, and even for our enemies, people are going to see the love of God. When we share the gospel reflecting the image of God, we're actually bringing Christ to others. When we tell about the fact that our sins have been forgiven in Christ, we share even our own story of the forgiveness that is ours no matter what the sin Are we not pointing to the Lord? Are we not bearing his image? And as we forgive, as we have been forgiven, as we live in peace with those around us, we are again reflecting God 
so that others might see the love of Christ. I mentioned at the beginning that we inherit image and likeness from our parents to one degree or another. And that really becomes reinforced once you have a child, right? As you see that child grow, you, you see those parts of you in them. And sometimes you look and think, why did they get that part of me? But we do see ourselves reflected. And so the Father who has created you and the Son who has redeemed you and the Holy Spirit that sanctified you has placed his image upon you. And all of that image is good. It's an image of love, an image of peace, an image of joy that we take to the world. And it's an image that, that never gets lost. It's ours. The, the, the love, the life, the forgiveness, the salvation is ours forever. Forever we bear that image with God. And forever we will be with God. Amen. Now may the peace of God, which surpasses all human understanding, guide our hearts and minds to true faith, to life everlasting. Amen.